Well, good morning. Happy Easter. So in first service, we had a couple of hats. Oh, we got a couple here. Okay. Linda's got a hat on. I just think, I think Easter is a time that ladies should wear hats. Don't you think? Let's vote. How many of you think ladies should wear Easter on, uh, hats on Easter? Hmm. Votes don't matter. <laughs> I'm with you. That's a bridge too far, lady. <laughs> so uh, Wednesday night we had our uh, annual Seder dinner here. Uh, I just I just love this event. It's it's one of the, the my favorite things that we do, and it's basically a, a messianic Passover. And, um, and Michael and Karen Rainwater take care of that. They do a, a, a wonderful job of um, facilitating that for us, walking us through everything. And, and every single year, it, it's like a whole new thing for me. But I remember years ago when the very first time I'd ever done this, I, I didn't understand this. I didn't, I didn't ever see this growing up or anything like that. And, <clears throat> and, and uh, we had one at the church I was pastoring and, and it really at, at other people's uh, request and I thought, well, whatever. If they want to do this, you know, it was that kind of thing. And uh, and and all through it, I was amazed at every element. The next element, the next. I was amazed. It was it was almost too much for me in the very first one to to see all the different things that the that the Jewish people had been celebrating for thousands of years that that um, pointed straight to Jesus Christ. That every one of these points straight to Jesus. That what you eat and why you eat it and all these other things. In fact, this is just me. Is, is Michael in here? This, I know Karen is. You guys take notes on this. It's important. Um, this is just me. But we had like a creamed um, uh, horseradish. And I think, you, I think you need to have the real deal. I think you need to have the horseradish that makes you hurt. Because that's the point of it. And every element of this is amazing. Guys, if you've never done this, we had about 100 people here Wednesday night doing this. If you've never done this, please think about this next year. Do the Seder dinner with us. Um, it is just so powerful. It brings some things to, 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 to life for you that you don't normally see. And so I just think it's cool. Some things that, um, that happened uh, this week that were, th- th- this, is, th- this is interesting to me that these things start coming out this week. We, we've heard little, little, if at all, we've heard little of anything about this. And then the week before Easter, we hear all of this, which for me kind of ties it in. I don't think anybody out there was thinking Easter, but it ties it into me that Jesus is, is, Jesus is the truth. He's, he's the life. And all this other stuff, these lies and all this other stuff is, is, is what Jesus died on the cross to destroy. But the uh, CDC came out this week with all these um, studies that were done. And a lot of the studies were showing how the lockdown caused a lot of problems uh, with mental health throughout our society, and specifically mental health in children. Um, there was a lot of other details involved with the, with the article about abuse and suicide rates going up and all these different things. And, and I want to say, yeah, the rest of us figured that out after that first two weeks you said we were going to be in this. And we knew it the whole rest of the time. But, but the CDC is just, they're locked up in their own lies on this kind of stuff. Uh, another another uh, medical study was done, but well, there was a bunch of them, and some of the stuff was put together in, an, in an, another study that was released, and it said that all of the, the events that happened because of the lockdown, um, 
uh, suicide rates, mental health issues, um, and, uh, and then also uh, abuse, sexual, physical abuse within the household, things like that, that they were more costly and more significant than all of the stuff that happened through the virus itself. And I believe that 100%. That at first, I am still of the school because I, I showed you guys screenshots of the, of the CDC website the first probably six months of how the, act, the numbers that were being reported on the virus deaths and the actual numbers were about 10 to 15% of that. And I still believe that's true. That they can say 600,000 or whatever people died. I do not believe that. I think that number would be around 60,000. And, and, and that was from the CDC website. You can't find it on there now. That's weird. But you can't find that on there now. The FDA and Pfizer uh, were there, a bunch of um, resource, I mean, a bunch of um, information was released this week showing the data that, and, and like emails and all kinds of stuff showing that FDA, the FDA and Pfizer knew that the COVID shot caused immunosuppression. In other words, if you, have the, if you get the shot, that your Im- immune system is uh, wore down, broken, and much weaker than if you didn't get the shot. Take, take COVID off the table. Just your immune system is, is much more messed up because of, the, because of the shot, because of the virus. And by the way, there are going to be um, long-lasting effects for that for years to come. Okay? So... Oh, I did want to show you guys something. I got a, a little gift this morning that I thought was um, wonderful, but I didn't have time to put it on the screen. But I got this gift this morning. I know you guys don't care, but I do. That's my granddaughter choking out my grandson. Uh, just, like, just like his father. So actually, his father did the choking out. Yeah, I'm sorry. My bad. My bad, son. Okay. He was the chokey. So, <clears throat> uh, brutal memories. All right, John chapter 11. We're, we're looking at Easter. I, w- I want you guys to really think about this, process this just for a minute. Do you realize that, that what we call Easter, we include that in, in, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in that word, right? Um, Resurrection Sunday, there, there's a bunch of stuff. Resurrection Sunday only tells part of the story, right? All these different details of this that, that, that you have to go back 30 years before, that, 33 years when Jesus took on human flesh. And yet you have to go back even before that to the prophecies about who Jesus was going to be. You have to go back before that, and eventually you get to um, Genesis chapter 3, where God is walking in the garden trying to rescue these people that had made the biggest mistake humanity can make. And which, by the way, it doesn't eclipse how big ours is. Ours is just as big. It's called sin. It's called choosing something besides God. And so we get to this resurrection, and it literally changes the the story of the world. It doesn't just change my story, which it does change my story, but it changes your story, and it changes stories of people around Colorado Springs. I was was laying in bed last night, so this is how I sleep. I, I, well, kind of like this, but this is how I sleep. I go to sleep for a couple hours, and I wake up for like four or five hours, and I go to sleep for a few hours, and then I get up. Um, I've been doing that pretty much all my life, and so... I, uh, I was laying there in my awake time, and, and I always do the same thing. I pray. Years ago, Linda told me one time, she said, why don't you just get up and watch TV? Because back in those days, I would, like, tell her things. I would talk to her. And for some reason, she didn't want to talk at 2.30. But, and she was like, why don't you go watch TV? 
And so, but I don't, I just pray. I've been doing that for years and years. I'm laying there last night and I'm praying, I'm praying for us. I'm praying for um, right now, for this moment right now. And I'm praying for churches across the city and I begin to pray for Colorado Springs and, and Colorado and, 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 and just praying, pretty soon I'm praying for, for a few hours, just praying for the planet and just praying, Lord, just reveal yourself this morning. That people recognize that you really are the king. Maybe, maybe somebody just shows up at church, hadn't thought about it, and they don't, we're just going to go to church this morning. Show them you're the king. Show them this isn't a story. I'm saying, show them you're the king. People on the other side of the planet, show them you're the king. On, on Tuesdays, we talk with our pastor in India, and, I, and I'm always praying. I always pray. It always gets in my spirit. And I pray the same thing, Lord, you... Jesus, you died for these people in this village, in this village, in this village. You died for these people. You died for the people of India. You realize no matter, you just spin a globe and put your finger on a place on the globe. And Jesus died for those people, and he knows them very, very intimately. He knows everything about them, and he loves them, and he gave himself for them, just like he gave himself for us. This, this, this is not just a story. This is the difference between life and death. This is everything. And I just pray, God, help us to see it. I, did, I just really believe that our country could still repent. I just believe it. But I, I really think for that to happen, it's going to have to take churches all across the, the United States to just begin to repent and plead before God, plead their, their plight before God. God, forgive us. Forgive us. And then it will move out to other places. To say, Lord, we need you to really have that. So I want to show you something that this morning. Maybe, maybe you hadn't processed it like this. We're going to look at the resurrection. But in John chapter 11, this is the story of Lazarus. And Jesus is about to uh, raise Lazarus from the dead. And I'm just going to read um, a couple of sentences here. Something that I think is extremely important for us. Jesus t tells Mary. So Mary is you know, upset about this, and Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for three days, and he comes... And, and she's not getting it totally, right? She's not totally understanding this. And, and he's talking about the resur resurrection or being a resurrecting. And she's like, yeah, I believe that that's going to happen someday. And, and, she, and by that statement, we realize she doesn't get it. And Jesus isn't saying, I resurrect people. It's not what he says. He says in verse 25 of John 11, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection. I don't resurrect people. I am the resurrection. And he says, I am the life. See, see this is where we, I think sometimes we, we kind of cognitively process the information, but we don't, we don't really realize the spiritual ramifications of what this means cutting through our existence. That, that Jesus doesn't just raise people from the dead. He's not, he doesn't just give us life. See, see, we say this kind of stuff. When we get saved, we say, well, when, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, well, now you're going to have um, eternal life. And that is a true statement if you use it in the proper scriptural context. But usually what that means for most people is that we're going to live forever. Well, here's the reality. We're all going to live forever. Everybody is going to live forever. But if you choose to uh, marry Satan, then you live married to him for eternity. If you choose to marry Jesus... You live married to him for eternity. But either way, your life lasts forever. The difference is, is one of those lives is life 
And one of those existences is death. And you live there. You stay there. For eternity, you stay there. Now, I know there's a very common teaching. It's growing, growing. I've addressed it some over the last couple of years. This is not new, by the way. It circles around about every 150 years. But this idea that, that um, hell is not um, eternal and that it is uh, rehabilitative. And the mentality is, is that somehow, um, if, if hell doesn't just end someday, which is, a, which is a common thing. It's being taught in seminaries. That hell will just end someday, or it doesn't really exist at all. That's actually another teaching. But, or it's rehabilitative. You can work your way out of it, which I've always found interesting because to me, I'd like to see the uh, work your way out of hell plan. Because <laughs> it's not in the Bible. But that's a, that's a teaching. Now, here's, a, here's the reality, okay? I hope that's actually true. I hope it's true. I hope hell is temporary, rehabilitative, whatever. I hope that's true. But nothing in Scripture will back that up. Nothing. And, and so what we go with is we go with Scripture because we have to. And we understand that it's eternal and that it's punitive. It is not rehabilitative. It's punitive. And, and it's going to be forever. So, so when Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life, that's the, the lifeline that he throws to us and says, you don't have to spend eternity in that. You can spend eternity with me. I am life. He doesn't give us life. He is life. When you're with him, you're with life. That's, that's the same concept in Revelation where he says, um, in, in eternity, in heaven, in, in the, 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 the city in heaven, the new Jerusalem, that there's not going to be any need for a son because Jesus is the light. Well, when you're with him, you're with light. There's not going to be Jesus in hell. Therefore... There's no light. That's why it's called outer darkness. And we don't, we don't process this sometimes. He says, I am the resurrection life. Now, this is important to remember that because we're going to get to a little bit further. It says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. He's talking about physically dying. You will live. That's important. That's extremely important. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then he asks the question of the ages. And this is the question that, that continues to go down through time and right to us right now. Do you believe this? Because it doesn't matter how much Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If you don't believe it, it does not become a reality for you. It's a reality. It's truth. It's absolute truth. But it's not a reality for you unless you believe it. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1 verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. These are all the things that he is. It's, these are not things he does. This is who he is. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And then he says this sentence, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Now, if all you have is this sentence, you can miss a, a very profound truth here. He says, I hold the keys of death and the grave. Now, there is this debate and discussion that theologians have and they, they, different schools of thought. You can go online and read all this, but I, I read a bunch of stuff again this week about there's a lot of uh, church mentalities that say Jesus, um, they, they, they mess up the, the temporal the eminence and the transcendence of Jesus. They get it all confused. 
But they say Jesus is the all, he's the all in everything, right? He's the all omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipowerful. You know what I mean. So, um, so because of that, he did not, from the time he died to the time he was resurrected, he did not go and take the keys away from Satan to death, hell, and the grave. That's the, that's the mentality. I read that 10, 10 different places this week. He didn't do that because why? He's the, he's the all-consuming one, and he has all authority over everything, and so Satan did not have any authority over anything else. Well, there's a bunch of problems with that. Theologically, Scripture says that Satan is the prince of this world, that he's the ruler of this world. That's an authority thing. Adam and Eve gave the authority that God gave them. God specifically said to Adam, Eve wasn't even alive yet. God specifically said to Adam, this, is, this planet is yours, take care of it. You're the one that's in charge. You take care of this. You have the authority over the planet. And then Adam and Eve gave that authority up to Satan. That's why there is such a thing as death. Death did not exist before that. They were eaten from the tree of life. And so all of a sudden now they have the, the ability. Now, now I'll, I want to show you this in the next part of Scripture. But now Adam and Eve now have the ability to do two things. They have the ability to physically die, but they also have the ability to be um, controlled by death and the grave. And those are not the same thing. They have... They gave themselves up to the authority of Satan. So guess what Jesus did after the cross? See, Jesus physically takes on human flesh. We're going to read that in a second. So that he can, as God in human flesh, be the, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, not from the seed of man, not been blemished by sin, not any of this stuff. And he is the one that is going to die for us. For what purpose? So that his blood, which is um, God's bloodline, not, not um, Joseph's bloodline, God's bloodline, that blood will cover us, forgive us, and make us right with God. Because of that, then he steps into the presence of death and takes the keys. Look at this. In Revelation chapter 20, expounds on it a little bit. He said, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. That's God. And the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead. This is important. I saw the dead. This is a status. What is your status? Dead. These are people, but their status is dead, right? Follow me. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's thrones, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead, that's their status again, were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now look at this, look at this sentence. The sea gave up its dead. Dead is the status. Look at what he says now. And death, that's not a status. Follow me. Death is not a condition of the people. He had already described the condition of the people. The dead was their status. Death is an entity. Death is a something. Death is a spiritual Something. Look how he says it this. And death and the grave, you know that doesn't mean a six-foot hole in the ground. Death and the grave, they are something. How do we know this? Because they also gave up their dead. 
The dead is the status. Death is a thing. And this is why it's important to recognize that Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is life. And when he died on the cross, he stepped into the face of death and the grave and said, I am here to take the authority back. I have just bought all the people. I bought them with my blood. They now belong to me. I'll take those keys that you've been controlling them with forever. It belongs to me now. Guys, this, this, is, this is the story. This is the importance of it. It's not just pr somebody praying so that they can get to heaven. It's the reality that death, the entity, the spiritual demonic thing called death is no longer in authority over you. You are free from this. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Now, here's the sad thing. It comes back to the question that Jesus asked um, uh, uh, at Lazarus' tomb. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Martha, we can talk about it all day. Mary, we can talk about it. But do you believe it? Because until you believe it, it's just words for someone else. But when you realize, wait a second, I am not controlled by death, which is, here's, a, here's an important aspect of this. Death is where sin resides and festers. Death doesn't have authority over you. I'm going to expound on this part a lot more next week, but death does not have authority over you. You don't have to belong to the stuff of death. This, I realized this as an 18-year-old. I, I was in the Navy I was doing everything I could to not serve God. And I just had this epiphany. And I know it comes from, I grew up in the church. I wasn't a Christian as a teenager, but I was as a kid. And I'd grown up in the church, but as a teenager, I got farther and farther away. And I was, I was doing everything I could to get it as, into the, the most darkness I could get into. And then I have this revelation. I don't want this to be my life. I'm chasing after all the things that are not fulfilling they may be temporarily satisfying, but they're not fulfilling. At what particular point do you say enough of this? And guys, here's where we, I believe we're caught in the church right now in America, is we're still buying in to a lot of the edges of sin and attitude and rebellion and stuff like that. But, but we have been trained for decades now in the church that as long as we do the basic church stuff and we, you know, we read our Bible and we pray and we go to church, then we don't really have to sell out. We don't really have to be all in. We can kind of play games. And it is so ingrained right now that if we begin to go, now, if, if I would never do this, but if I would individually go to you and, and with the help of the Lord, reveal your life to every one of us in here, and then we go down the list. God's not okay with this. He's not okay with this. He's not okay with Why are we doing this stuff? We would defend these things. We would defend these things. But, but they're destroying us. They're hurting us. Deep in our spirit. Why? Because it's a bubbling, festering thing inside death. Death owns this stuff. And we're, we're pulling our hands into that and trying to get some of it out of there. And death is the one that's destroying us. He said the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave 
We're thrown into the lake of fire. Death. Not dying. Now, dying goes with it because dying is part of that. But he's saying the actual death entity grabs onto something. that when we get to eternity, we'll know what it is. We'll see death. But he grabs onto this demonic thing called death and throws him into the lake of fire. And he takes grave, which is not death. It's part of it, but it's not the same. And he throws the grave into the lake of fire at the same time. And because of that, none of us will ever die again. See, when, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they opened the door spiritually for death to walk in and take residence upon the, th- on the earth. Death didn't have access to the earth before that. You understand what I'm saying? This is a, this is a spiritual choice. You're either choosing life or you're choosing death. And this is why Paul, there's a bunch of language all through Scripture. This is why Paul says, um, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? He doesn't say dying, where is your victory and your sting? Because why? He was going to die. He was going to die. But the difference is, is he looks death in the face and says, you're not scaring me. Oh, this physical body is going to die. But death, you have no authority over me. You can't do anything to me. As I've done so many funerals over the years, I cannot count them. In, in first service, um, one of the guys in first service, named Clifton, he is, his father was, was one of my closest friends ever in my life. And uh, he just passed away a couple years ago at 97. And he, he and I spent hours and hours and hours over years and years just, just studying the Bible and praying together. And he's just a, just, just a mentor and a, a life friend I can't even describe the depth of. And, and I went and saw him just right before he died. And, and uh, we're sitting in his living room. And, and his wife had already passed away. And, and he told me, this is the beginning of COVID. And he said, he said uh, Pastor, did you, did you bring any COVID with you? I said, I don't know. I don't think so. And he said, ah, well, I've been trying to catch it, but I can't seem to catch it anywhere. <laughs> and I said, Gene, I really don't want you to die. And he says, well, I didn't really ask you. <laughs> and we were laughing back and forth about it, but he told me, he said, Scott, you know this. He said, I'm just ready to go to be with Jesus. He said, I've lived a pretty full life. You can't argue that at 97, <laughs> right? But uh, he said, I'm, I'm just ready to go. And, and he wanted to be with Opal. And, uh, and just the whole thing. And, and so I'm, I'm processing, this, processing this with him, and I realized he wasn't afraid of dying. And here's the reality. It's because death had lost control over him decades before. And he had lived separate from death, but he was still going to die. Because we, somewhere we got to get that in here, in our spirit, that I, death is not my issue. The grave, you have nothing. You got nothing. I, I'm going to be with Jesus. Now, I don't want to die today, but if Jesus said, well, but that's my choice, I'm good. Take me today, Lord, if that's your plan. I'm leaving on a jet plane this afternoon to go to Texas. 
it could go down in a blaze of glory. I shouldn't say this stuff. It makes my wife very nervous when I say this stuff. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is a second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Please do not leave here this morning without making sure that your, life, that your name is written down in that book. That's just too important. You get one shot at this life. Don't waste it. Jump in and serve Jesus. You have the opportunity. And I, I, this is one of those moments when I wish I could have seen it. But when Jesus steps into the face of grave and gets up in his face. See, grave, grave really tries to make us scared and bolsters and everything and saber rattles and makes a lot of noise and everything. But when Jesus stepped in front of him, nothing. In fact, I think... He tremblingly handed the keys to Jesus. Jesus is life. So you choose this morning. Do you choose to live right now? See, I really believe that even Christians, we get caught in traps that Satan messes with sin and depression and all kinds of stuff. Depression is on the rise within the church at crazy levels, and so is suicide within the church. Somewhere, we've got to push back from this. We've got to push back. And say, but I, I serve the life giver. I serve the resurrection. Not the, not the guy that does the resurrection. I serve the resurrection. Hebrews chapter 2. Because God's, child, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. I'm sorry, I'm having a little... These are new glasses. They are... Um, uh, not bifocals. I'm, I'm not old. These are young men's glasses. They're called progressives. You old people wear bifocals. But I'm ha- they're, they're only two, years, two days old, so I'm having a problem. Because God's children... There it is. For God's... Nobody move. <laughs> because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. Do you realize how significant that is? The God of the universe chose to do that for you and I. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Do you see the demonic? Satan has the power of death. Jesus is life. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying, which is what we have been consumed with the last couple of years. The fear of dying. The fear of disease. The fear. Satan is playing us as a planet. He's playing us as a country. He's playing us as a state. I mentioned I have to get on a plane this afternoon. Dude, yesterday was supposed to be the last day masks were for planes. Did you know that? Biden extended it for two weeks, just for me. (laughs) We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Then he could step in and grab the keys from death. 
Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are tested. And when you're going through difficult stuff, get that picture in your mind. Jesus steps into the face of death and says, give me the keys, Jack. Romans chapter 8. I'm going I'm to expound a lot more on Romans 8 next week. But I want us to look at just a few sentences here. Verse 1. So now there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Verse 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead and all of hell was trying to keep Jesus in the grave and the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Lives in you. What, what can you not accomplish in the Lord? Think about this. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He raised Jesus from the dead. Don't you think he can bring life into your existence? Don't you think he can bring victory into your existence? Reality, discernment, truth. He can bring these things into your existence. Because it's the same Holy Spirit. He will give life to your mortal bodies. He will redeem you physically. He will redeem you mentally. He will redeem you emotionally. He has paid for you completely. Your entire existence. He will give life to your mortal bodies. To your relationships. To your marriages. Your finances. Your children. He will give life to your mortal bodies. By this same spirit living within you. So I'm going to have some people help me with this um, a little bit. So if I talk to you earlier, please stand up. And we're going to have some of them help you with this. Okay, so we're answering what the Holy Spirit has done for us. And I got to know the Holy Spirit when I was a youth and see his power even before that and came to know that that's what it was. And then I wanted to be in the driver's seat and I got sucked into alcohol and doing things my way. And things weren't horrible. I mean, he was still, he was the co-pilot. That was my mentality. And, uh, but things were not the way they were supposed to be. And uh, nine years ago, I said, you know what? We're in the wrong seat. You, you get in the driver's seat. Let me, take me where you want me to be. And everything changed. It went, went back the way it was supposed to be. And I am forever thankful and it was another two years that I got back into reading and praying daily. So, um, yeah, everything has changed since I switched seats and got in the right seat. So you voice now and I'll interpret. Okay. So we'll just switch. All right. He leads. Um, hi, Romero. And, um, you know, I grew up, you know, in my family. They all were church-going people. And um, I wasn't, didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't want to, it was fine for them to be with him, but not for me. I wanted to be with me. I wanted it for myself, but I got very angry, very revengeful. I was very, very against other people. I was very critical of other people. 
And everyone was trying to encourage me to go back to church, but I always wanted to put them off and tell them later, later. And what happened with my life is it hit me one day. It just hit me and hit me hard. And I finally said, okay, Lord, if you want me to go back, show me something that you want me to know that I, it's from you that I, want, I could go back. And I waited. And they were always on me about going back to church, and they are always praying for me. And finally, I let him into my life. But I thought, why him? Why not him? And he was in me, and it changed my life forever. He led me. You know, I stopped being critical of other people. I saw I was passionate. I had passion for other people. I saw him in other people, and I would encourage other people about him. So he is in me, and it's the Holy Spirit, and it's his power that convicted me and changed my life. And it'll do it for you, too. Why him? Because you want his Holy Spirit inside of you. That's where the growth comes in to be strong. Thank you. Um, no, it's okay. I know this gets confusing. I was really involved with pornography horribly, horribly, and I never thought in a million years I'd be standing in front of a church with a microphone in front of a mixed company sharing this, but it was. It was a very ugly feeling, and I hated to be a part of it, and I hated being a hypocrite. It was terrible to be on stage being a hypocrite, knowing what I was doing in the privacy of my own home, and then going to church and standing next to a pastor and being a hypocrite. It was horrible. But God changed that. Thank, thank God he, he has his spirit in the life of other men who are willing to hear and say, what's going on? Let's pray together. There was not one man who ever said to me, bro, I just don't know what to tell you. That is from Satan. Yeah. That is from the devil. You never tell that to anybody. And a brother never told it to me. Let's pray together. Even when they didn't want to see it or hear it or talk about it, I could see it on their face, but they did anyway. And that's what's been keeping me pure. Yeah. And I thank God I was taken out of that ugly grave that men are afraid to talk about and brought me into the light because men of God cared, which was God behind them. Yeah. And I thank God for that. Thank you, Jesus. I think it's kind of neat that the last time Pastor asked me to stand up um, in front of the church, he announced that we were pregnant with Kenna. <laughs> Um, because she is a part of my redemption story, and Daniel is also a part of my redemption story. So, because of that, I took notes. So, um, at 19 years old, I found out I was pregnant, and I was deeply ashamed because I was out of wedlock. And shortly after turning 20, I had an abortion. Um, guilt and shame immediately took over and began causing destruction in my life. I no longer cared about myself and turned to alcohol and partying to try to numb the pain and to forget. And many times, I really didn't care if I ever woke up. I also turned to men to try and find some value in myself, only to cause deeper shame and hurts. I was living a double standard life, putting on my Sunday face so that my family and closest friends couldn't see the constant lie that I was living. By my mid-20s, Living in sin and death, I was completely broken. But then, but then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God broke through the darkness, yeah. through the hurts, the guilt, and all the pain, all the shame that I had caused, and in a tangible way poured out his overwhelming love upon me. There was no doubt that by his amazing love and the grace that Jesus redeemed my life. He raised me from death to life. 
And I now live a life in freedom because of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Sorry, I'm recovering from that one. (laughs) So this is Brandon, and I'm Aspen. And uh, our story started long ago. Um, We were unequally yoked as 21. (laughs) Yes, we got married when we were 21. I was 21. Um, And we were unequally yoked. He, He had not been saved, and... I had been, like Paul, as a, you know, young teenager and um, just kind of like Paul, just just thought God was there. You know, he was just there. I never, never walked away from him or anything intentionally, just didn't walk with him intentionally and um, ended up with him. And, you know, I have always joked that I didn't choose to fall in love with him. I just did. And um thankful for that because God has brought us out of a lot. We years ago, found ourselves with infidelity on both sides. Now, that didn't come out for two years. We lived in sin and darkness for two years. They were single incidences. It wasn't occurring for two years, but we both had that lie and had that shame over us for two years. We had a small daughter and then had another one shortly after that, and I was so broken and physically sick and ill that I was, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I was throwing up, I I didn't know what was going on, and come to find out it was the Holy Spirit's conviction over me to divulge with him what had happened a couple years past or prior to that, and then find out he had had the same same situation uh, two years prior to that as well. Um, We don't know exact dates, we never really cared to figure that out, and uh, about a month after that, he had his salvation story of started asking me all these questions about the Bible and about Jesus. And, you know, it's what I had been praying for for years and years and years of wanting that for him, for us, for our family. And uh, he one day. <laughs> I'll take over. <laughs> um, as she said, I started questioning, you know, what salvation was and. Um, after running away from God for all my life at the age of 32, he revealed himself to me in an encounter that nobody can (laughs) ever take from me. Stop it. Um, not a lot of people are lucky enough to see Jesus's face, um, but I did. So from that day forward, I knew that there was nothing (laughs) but him to live for. So, um. I really jumped into my faith and started pursuing God, but even still, there was something else that was still holding on, and, you know, I got sucked back into a life of alcoholism and hiding, drinking from Aspen, uh, getting home and drinking a beer real quick just to cover up the amount I had had on my way home from work, Um, and it just got to the point where I couldn't hide it any longer, and he revealed it to her. And somehow, some way, I always made sure I covered my tracks, but he knew exactly the ones I did not cover, and he revealed it to her. And so from then, that point on, I've been working, and on May 21st, I will be 
three years sober. Um, so, um, might have had one little hiccup along the way, but yeah. He did that, yes. So that's our story. And without God, um, you know, I don't think we would be married anymore. I don't think um, I would be where I'm at and be the man I am today. So thank you. Well, I probably won't make you cry. I'm still trying to sop up my own tears from all that. But um, for 17 years... I was in death, and the scariest part was I had no idea. I grew up in a Catholic faith. Um, from the time I was a baby, I went to church once or twice a week. If I wasn't in a Catholic school, I was doing Catholic education after school countless hours a week. So I thought I was doing all the right things and saying all the right things and praying all the right things. And I thought I was good. And it did keep me out of trouble, but there was something missing. And um, as a teenager, I felt that. And I would tell myself, I'm not always going to be Catholic, but I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I believed in God, but I wasn't always going to be Catholic. Um, and then I met Luke, and he took me to church. <laughs> he took me to church. And then I realized there was a huge difference between religion and rules and relationship with Jesus. And the day I was saved, it felt like a darkness had actually lifted off me and colors were vibrant. And um, I don't know why I'm crying. And um, light was lighter. And it was something I hadn't, I didn't know that I was in such a dark place because I wasn't, I wasn't falling into a lot of Satan's traps, but he had me in a trap that was so he was such a good con artist because he makes you think you're so good yeah. until you realize that I, I, have, I have never been with him in a relationship with him. And until I was, um, my life, well, my life vastly changed after I accepted him into my life. And that's why... Um couple months ago when we were discussing getting baptized in our staff meeting and Kate said I would like to get baptized we all kind of went we thought you were baptized um, I don't hire administrative assistants that are not baptized <laughs> slip that one by me so let's pray Lord we just need you Jesus you are the forgiver and the redeemer you're so big and amazing. You're so full of grace. And Lord, we, we don't have to be part of death. We don't have to let death own us this morning. Lord, I choose right now to commit myself, my mind, my heart, my soul, my existence to you. We commit ourselves to you. I belong to you, Jesus, and you only. I want to spend eternity with you. So Holy Spirit, you bring life through each of our hearts and our minds right now. Bring life. 
God, as you ask him in your own words, in your own thoughts, you ask him, Jesus, bring life. You've already destroyed the power that death has over us. So God, we reach out to you. Lord, you've already raised us to life in you. Lord, I believe that that someday when we step into heaven, one of the people we're going to see and we're all going to know it is Kara's little baby. Because you're the life giver, Jesus. You're the life giver. So Lord, bring life to our mind and our spirit. Bring life to our, our soul. Deep in our soul, bring life. We're going to take communion together. Now, I want to go to the, the, the scripture I normally read. I want to go to the last sentence first. He says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death. But you understand what he's saying is you're announcing the Lord's life. Because if it was just death, it wouldn't matter. If all Jesus had done was die, it wouldn't matter. He would just be another Jewish guy that died. But he rose again. He says, you're going to be announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Does everybody have one of these now? On the night when he was betrayed, you, do, you notice it could have been many other descriptions right there. On the night when they came to get him, on the night before his crucifixion, it says on the night when he was betrayed, best, best description of that moment ever. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Jesus, we thank you for your healing. Lord, you don't just heal us, you are the healer. And we thank you for this. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken so that our bodies could be whole. We give you the glory. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this, you know the after supper is important because that's the, that's the Messiah's cup. Right? said, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this, is the, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember, as me, to remember me as often as you drink it. Let's take the drink together. Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we'll never, ever 
get to the point where we deserve it. We'll never get to the point where we can pay you back. We'll never get to the point where we're on equal ground. Jesus, you knew all that when you gave your blood, when you allowed them to kill you. So Jesus, we thank you. We are overwhelmed. We are humbled by the amazingness of your love. Lord, and I pray for every one of us in here that this week that we will share this with somebody else. Your love, your grace, your mercy, our story, that we will share that with somebody else and that somebody else can have that moment when they realize that you are the everlasting one, when you are resurrection and you are life. Lord, stir our hearts to carry this on to other people in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for this. Thank you for Easter, Jesus. Amen. For noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know that he loves them. It's, it's not as difficult as we make it. Just tell somebody. Tell somebody how big he is and how powerful he is. And that he's not an Easter egg. He's so much bigger. Right? So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they're here. Tell them happy Easter. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great Easter afternoon. to the riverside take me